www.sharpshoes.church. Amen, amen. How are we doing today, King's House? Everybody good? Excited to be in God's house this morning? Man, so wonderful to see you. So blessed, so honored to have you here sincerely. Uh, we started our youth camp last night. Last night was our kickoff service. And um, man, it was incredible. Man, the place is just jam-packed full of kids. I don't know how many salvations there were. Like, it was just really, really incredible. And uh, we have two more nights. So thank you so much for everyone that's been praying for those services. Thank you for everyone that gave so we could give scholarships to kids that couldn't afford to go to camp. I mean, you are making an eternal impact on so many lives. Would you give it up for yourself, King's House? You're an, you're an amazing church, amazing group of people. And I... I I, I sincerely feel like I do have a very important word from the Lord for us today, something so important as we move into the future, and I'm just so incredibly excited about what all God has planned for the church in the future. Uh, man, he's done some incredible things the past few years, but I just have this sneaky suspicion that what he's about to do is going to surpass even what he's done up to this point, if you can believe it, but that's the God we serve, man. He takes us from glory to glory to glory. But I do think there's something very important that, that culturally we, we need to, to get. And we're on part three of the series called Stand With All Your Heart. And the title of the message this morning is Stand For Truth. And I think this is so important. It's something that the Lord has already called the church, already called us as believers to, to do. And I believe that as we move into the future, that it's going to be something that he even asks more and more and more from us. Uh, we live in a very dark, deceived world that is in desperate need of the light and the truth and the life of the gospel. There's no other way that they're going to get it except through his body, which is each and every one of you. So today I really want to answer two questions. Why is it so important that we stand for truth in these days and times in which we live? And the second thing I want to address is how are we going to do that effectively? How are we going to stand for truth and reach people at the same time, we're called to reach people to make a difference. Church is more than just a building. It's more than a place where you just come and sing a couple songs and hear a nice little sermon. I hope you're aware of that. The church is a force to be reckoned with, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. We're called to make a difference on planet earth. We are. I'm, I'm, I'm highly concerned uh, about American Christianity how it's become more of a philosophical gospel, if you will. And we are just completely saturated with all sorts of teachings in our Christian world. Um, books and podcasts and YouTube channels and, and books that you, audio books. I mean, like there's these endless ways to listen to teachings. And listen, obviously that's not a bad thing. We need to, to be growing in our knowledge of Scripture we need to be growing in our knowledge of God like this is what discipleship looks like and growing in your faith looks like. So this is vitally important, but it does become very dangerous when that's where the gospel ends. It's a very important part of the gospel, but if that's where the gospel ends on our beliefs and on our philosophical or theological views, this becomes very dangerous. Well, you say, well, Mark, listen, beliefs are important. 
Like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that God's word is true. And these are vitally important things. And I would agree with that. And in fact, I would say congratulations because you have now attained to the same level of the devil and all his demons who also believe that Jesus is the Son of God and who also believe that God's word is true. The first half of this sermon might not be like the most popular, but by the end it's going to be good, okay? So I'm just going to get on your toes for just like five or ten minutes and then we're just going to move on. Is that all right with you guys? I mean, I'm going to even if it's not, but we really have to understand that the gospel was never intended to simply change what we believe. That, that was never the point of the gospel, just to change what we believe or our theologies or our views. The gospel is supposed to change the way you think. It's supposed to change the way you live. It's supposed to change the way you walk, the way you talk. The gospel is supposed to change everything about your life. When Jesus showed up in your life, you didn't just need a few minor adjustments or tweaks, friends. You needed a complete home makeover. The gospel is designed to change everything, not just what we say we believe when we sit around in the church on a Sunday morning. These things aren't new. Paul wrote about these things 2,000 years ago in 2 Timothy chapter 3. See if this sounds familiar to you at all. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Is this sounding familiar yet? They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and they will love pleasure rather than God. Verse 5, this is the important one. They will act religious. They will go to church. They'll have a little fish bumper sticker on the back of their car. Their social media page will say, religious views, Christian. They will act religious. But they will reject the power that could make them live godly. Friends, this is where we are in the church in the Western world. We have a form of religion, but we deny all of its power for life change. We've become comfortable and complacent with God adjusting our beliefs. And he was wanting so much more than to adjust your beliefs. He wants to change your whole life. I think the root problem of this is, is we really want Jesus the Savior. We're not really that interested in Jesus the Lord. And this is a problem. Now, I don't know about you this morning. I am so thankful that Jesus is my Savior. Can I get a witness this morning? Oh, my gosh. I could sing. I could worship forever. I'm so thankful that he found me. He saved me. He remade me. He renamed me. He gave me a future, a hope. I'm so thankful that Jesus is my Savior. And, and this is the New Testament speaks about this, Jesus as our Savior. 24 different times in the New Testament, it gives reference to Jesus being our Savior. It's important. It's beautiful. I'm so happy. The problem is, is that the concept of Jesus as Lord is mentioned over 700 times in the New Testament. 
Just a little bit of a discrepancy there. Again, we love Jesus, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Redeemer, the Washer away of sins. But we really don't love this concept as Jesus as our, our Lord. A biblical definition of like what does that mean for Jesus to be your Lord? It means that when you're born again... That your life doesn't belong to you anymore. You've been bought with the price. You've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. It means that he's Lord is that he is your master. It means that he is possessing of supreme power and authority in your life. He's the boss, baby. That's what it means that Jesus is your Lord. This means for us that he can't just be Lord when it's convenient or comfortable. He can't just be Lord when it fits your narrative or your political view. The problem with Christianity today is the world is working overtime to change the word to make it match our lifestyle. However, that is just completely opposite because we're supposed to allow him to change and transform our lives, and in turn, it matches the word. This is, this is how it's supposed to work. This is what the gospel actually is. So we desperately need to embrace this truth today, church, that either he is the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. And there's really no in-between. It, it can't be both if he is the master the supreme authority in your life, then you can't say, well, Lord, I'll make you Lord of this and this and this. But these issues over here, these are off limits. I'm still the Lord of that. That's not how it works. He's the supreme authority or he's not. He's the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So what that means is that you don't get to formulate an opinion on the issues our society's facing today. You don't, you don't get to do that. You don't get to determine what is sin or not sin in your life. You, you don't get to determine that. It's baffling. It's, it's heart-wrenching to me for how many so-called Christians um, have opinions and worldviews that are not just contrary to God's word, but are in complete contradiction to God's word. Like, it's not just the opposite. It is against God's word. Friends, it doesn't work that way. Jesus experienced this even back when he was on earth. In Luke chapter 6, he says this. So, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say to do? It doesn't work. In essence, Jesus is saying, listen, if I'm Lord, if I'm really the master, the supreme authority in your life, then you got to say what I say, and you got to think what I think, and you got to stand for what I stand for. Church, we don't get the luxury of sitting a few plays out. We don't get the luxury of picking our battles or we're going to stand on this issue, but we're not going to stand on this issue because, oh, it's a little uncomfortable for me. And I, I need to check um, social media because I'm not sure if that's politically correct. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. And as Christians, we're not supposed to offend anybody, right? I mean, how pathetic and weak has the church become? If he's Lord, we say what he tells us to say. 
We think what he tells us to think. We stand on the issues he tells us to stand on. And God is calling his church like never before in an age of unprecedented deceit and sin. He's calling you to stand for truth. That's what he's calling you to do, man. Because truth, as believers, truth is our compass. We have to follow truth. Truth is our currency. That's what we deal with. Truth is the hope that we offer the world. Listen, if we're not standing for truth, then what are we offering? He is the way, the truth, the life. I don't have to defend it. I didn't write it. But I do have to stand for it. This is why it's so important that we stand for truth in this world. This world needs Jesus, man. How do we stand without pushing people away? It's a big one, right? Let's just get real and talk about it for a minute. How do, how do we stand for truth without pushing people away? Jesus had an unbelievable way about him, apparently, because he never once compromised the truth, and yet he was a magnet to lost people. I don't know what was so different about what he did, man, but he had something figured out. Uh, every person in this room is in some way or form connected to or related to or friends with somebody that is living opposite God's word. In complete contradictory, this is what God's word says, this is how you're choosing to live. This touches every single one of our lives. Fill in the blank for what that sin is, but it, it exists in all of our lives. So here's what we can't do. We can't agree with their lifestyle. We can't. We can't. Why, why can't we? Because he's the Lord. He's my master. He's my supreme authority. If he says something's a certain way, I got to say something's a certain way. Church, it's not mean. It's not ugly. It's not hateful. Like, it's not okay to say something is okay if it ain't okay. If it's wrong, it's wrong. So, but how do we reach that person? I, I, we watch every single day how the church pushes people away. Like, we, we got a pretty good blueprint for that. But how, how do we reach those people? How do we stand against sin and yet effectively reach the sinner? That's what we're trying to do. And I definitely don't have all the answers. I know that we are living in very difficult and complicated and complex times, facing issues that the American church has never, ever, ever faced before, issues that 50 years ago People could have never dreamt that this is the issues we're facing. But Jesus did give us several examples. And I do think that there are a couple principles we can pull. How are we going to stand in truth and still reach people? John chapter 8, verse 3. Get that candy out of my mouth. Getting all weird and funky. As he was speaking... The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. I mean, it wasn't a rumor, people. It was eyewitness, red-handed. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, 
They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, I believe that there is a pattern and an order that we can pull from this scripture on how to stand for truth in our world today. This is very important for us, church. I believe that there are two steps. I believe that you must have both of these steps, and you got to have them in the right order. To get them out of order is to mess the whole thing up. Let's look at what Jesus did when he found this woman who was caught in the act red-handed. The first thing he did was Jesus showed grace and mercy and kindness and love and compassion. The woman was no doubt sinning, but she was also being humiliated, paraded all over town. He valued this woman. He defended her. He protected her. The first thing Jesus did. The second thing he did after showing grace and love and mercy and compassion, the second thing he did was he did speak truth in love. This is so important. He didn't uh, just say, hey, I don't condemn you either. Have a great day. God bless you. Good to see you. No, I don't condemn you either, he says. But then he follows it up with these few words that are so important. Go and sin no more. Listen, he didn't make excuses for her behavior. He didn't support her behavior in any way, shape, or form. He said, please stop sinning. This is not who you are. This is not what I've called you to be. If you continue on this lifestyle, it will destroy you. That's truth. And that's love. This pattern is so important. John chapter 5. There's a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And he is sitting by a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. It's bizarre, but once a year, an angel would come down and stir the water up. And the first person to get in that pool would be healed. So Jesus rolls into town, and this dude's been paralyzed for 38 years. And he asked the guy, do you want to get well? And the guy's like, yeah, of course I want to get well, but obviously I'm not very fast, and I'm never going to be the first dude that gets in the pool when the water's stirred. And Jesus says, man, stand up, pick up your mat, like heal the dude instantly after 38 years of suffering. Heal the man. Jesus kind of disappears into the crowd. But then in John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so what's the next words? Help me out. Stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. The exact same thing that, that he did with the woman caught in adultery. The first thing Jesus did was show grace and love and mercy and kindness. The first thing he did. But it didn't stop there. The second thing he did, which is equally as important, said, hey, man, stop sinning, bro. Stop. Stop what you're doing. 
Because if you keep on sinning, there's consequences to the sin. Here's some truth. I love you. I heal you. I value you. But listen, stop sinning. This is a pattern that Jesus lived in his life. John chapter 1 verse 16 says this. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Aren't you glad that that's who Jesus is? Man, he just puts grace on top of grace on top of grace. Man, I need that triple dose, that quadruple dose of grace. We all need it. And that's who he is, man. Grace on top of grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The two things you got to have in that order, grace and truth. This is how we need to live our lives. If we're going to be effective evangelists, if we're going to reach people in the year 2023, Jesus gave us the blueprint, friends, grace and truth. Well, how do we know when it's too much grace? Like, how do we know when it's getting a little sloppy, you know, just getting weird, just too, too much grace, too much excuses? How, how do you know when, when you need to come in hard and heavy with some truth? Like, how do you know when that wrecking ball needs to come in? Like, how, how do you know? I, 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 I wish that there was some kind of blueprint for that. I really, really do. I wish that being a follower of Christ, that being a messenger of hope was just that simple, that it was just black and white. But as much as some of you hate to admit it, it is quite gray, friends. Because people's relationship with God is a very relative term. Because we're all on the same journey, but we're in very different places on that journey. We've been on that journey for different amounts of time. We've had different experiences. It's not some cookie-cutter black and white blueprint. It's just not. It's a very relative thing. Now, if you found out that yesterday I watched uh, an hour of pornography and went to Walmart and just lost it on the poor cashier and I just dropped 10 F-bombs, I mean, I just made a fool of myself, I would hope that you were, like, a little disappointed in that. I mean, I don't want you to set the standards for me very high, but some standards I think are necessary, okay? It's a bad day for me. I think we could all agree. But what if somebody was just recently born again and they've been professionally sinning for 40 or 50 years? Now, now what if that person used to on the daily, their porn intake was five hours a day, and on average they dropped 100 F-bombs a day? Okay, now imagine that person is down to one hour of pornography intake and 10 F-bombs. So he has an 80% decrease in porn intake and a 90% decrease in F-bombs. I think we would all agree, like, God is working in your life, my man. Woo, God is he's doing it. Keep doing what you're doing, right? It's not cookie cutter. It's not black and white. It's relative. That's why it's so important that in the days and times in which we live, stop asking yourself the question, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? This is why this is so dangerous. Because a preacher can take a little bit of this scripture and a little bit of this and a little bit of this, and it can be completely out of context and totally unrelated. But you can make the Bible say just about anything you want it to say. 
That's how cults are formed, people. I mean, they got scripture and they're doing all sorts of weird things. You, so dangerous. Stop asking yourself, what does the Bible say? And start asking yourself, what does the Bible teach? It's completely and totally different. Like, what are the consistent principles and precedences that are set throughout the Word of God that really show His heart and His nature towards people? And as you study the Word, I'm fully convinced. I mean, you, you can either view the Bible as, as a rule book or you can view it as a love letter. And it's so much more effective when you view it as a love letter. Truly. I believe that as you look through Scripture... There is a precedence that's set all the way through. And here's what it is, that God prioritizes people. He is motivated. He is moved with compassion and love for people. The reason he left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross was for people. People are his priority. This is true. So we got to be so careful in our pursuit to stand for truth and our pursuit to defend truth, which I'm not speaking against, I'm telling you we got to stand. I'm telling you we got to defend truth. But in our pursuit of doing so, we can't forget that we are dealing with people. People that Jesus loves. People that Jesus died for. People that are hurting and broken. We can't lose sight of this. I've been in this crazy thing called ministry for 23 years. And the further I go, the more I realize this. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And I promise you, that person you're judging and looking down on, and you don't know their story. You don't know the hell that they've walked through. You don't know the pain, the trauma, the abuse that they've had to live through. You don't know their story. And may I suggest today, instead of sitting up way up on your high horse, looking down that long legalistic nose, maybe you should do what Jesus did and get down in the dirt when somebody's caught in adultery. Real ministry doesn't happen on stages or Facebook. Real ministry... Happens down in the dirt, man. That's where life happens. Surely you understand that if you were walking down the road today and you found somebody that was beat up and broken and left over in the ditch for dead like the Good Samaritan came upon. Imagine finding somebody today just beat up, man, broken, half dead, laying over in the ditch. You go over there and check them out like, oh, gosh, man, this person's in a bad way. What can I do? Oh, I know what I... I'm going to kick them while they're down. I'm going to punch them a few times. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add insult to injury. Like nobody in their right mind would treat somebody that's beat up and broken that way. Unless you're a Christian in most of our churches. Woo, it's getting real up in here now, isn't it? Okay. What if we led with grace? What if we led with love? And what if we said, you know what? There's going to be a time and a place for truth. But maybe it's not in this exact moment. Because if somebody was to go into the ER last night 
and they had had a full cardiac arrest. I mean, heart stopped. It's an emergency. Man, they're just rushing to save this people's, this person's life. The first thing they're going to do is just treat the person. It's the first thing they're going to do. It, it really wouldn't be that important in that moment, like, what led this person to a heart attack? You know, what were the contributing facts? Like, the dude doesn't have a heartbeat, man. Like, it's mission. Let's treat the person first. And, man, they're getting the paddles warmed up, and they're about to clear and shock the dude. Can you imagine some jerk doctor leaning over that lifeless body? Say, I told you, you're so dumb. Oh, my gosh, if you would have listened to me, you had this coming. You sorry. No. No human being with any common sense. The only thing that would matter, how can I save this person? How can I help this person? Listen, there's going to be a time and a place for you to meet with the doctor and let him tell you about your diet and your exercise. He's going to tell you to quit smoking. Like, truth is it's important, and there's a relative time and place for truth. But, man, when somebody's dangling over the pit of hell, shouldn't we just try to reach down and grab them first? Shouldn't we worry about getting them cleaned up later? Shouldn't we just rescue them? I, I believe that most Christians' hearts are in the right place. I really do. Somewhere along the way, we, we decided that it was okay to get up on our soapbox, whether that was a political soapbox or a theological soapbox or some kind of disagreement on the Holy Spirit. You know, there's, there's about a million things that divide Christians. It's beautiful. God loves it. He hates unity. That's what the Bible says. No, that's never mind. That's not what it says. But somewhere along the way, like, we, we decided that it was okay to get up on our soapbox and to treat truth like a machine gun. And just close your eyes and hold the trigger. I mean, just let it rip. And let the pieces fall where they may. Because I'm standing for truth. I'm a defender of the truth. But Mark, like, you're just spraying bullets all around. Isn't there a chance that somebody's going to get hurt? Like an innocent person? Like, who cares, man? I'm, I'm spraying truth out there. This is my God-given duty. Who cares the consequences? Just let it rip. That's not the goal of truth. And we've really got to change our mindsets. I can't stress enough how I don't know a single human being. I know a lot of people in a lot of places all over planet Earth. Do you know I've never met a single human being like, well, I used to believe this way, but then I got in this horrendous fight on social media, and wouldn't you know it, like, they completely changed my mind. I'm so thankful that that person was badgering me on social media. Wow, the Lord appeared and worked. I've, I've never met that person. So maybe if we're going to be effective in standing for truth, we need to stop treating it like a machine gun and embrace the reality that truth is a seed that is planted in the soil of relationship and has to be watered by grace. may not get the instant, quick fix results that you want it to get. And I know that God did an instantaneous work in your life. And I know that the second you gave your heart to Jesus, poof, everything was magically better and you never seen or struggle again. Like, I realize that. 
but that's not the way it works for everybody, okay? So uh, some people have to go through a process of sanctification, you know, where Jesus just works in their life graciously and patiently and very mercifully. And just every step of the way, this, you know, that's some people, that's how it works. I know it makes us feel bold and brave to machine gun truth out in the world, but I wonder how many people you've reached with that approach. Maybe we should treat truth as something so precious and sacred, like a seed. Plant it in genuine relationships with people. Build a bridge. Let them know that you care about them first. Crazy stuff like that. And then water it with grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. Man, I don't know about you, but even your pastor is a work in progress, friends. Still struggling with some things. Still dealing with some things. And you know what? God hadn't given up on me yet. That's the craziest thing about it. And he actually uses this deeply flawed individual. It's amazing. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about a farmer going out to sow seeds. And he's throwing his seed around, and some of the seed falls on the path. And before the seed can take root, birds come along and get it. And he's throwing out more seed, and some of it falls in the rocks, and there's just not a lot of soil. Now, it starts to grow a little bit, but as soon as the sun comes up, it scorches it, and that plant just withers. Some of the other seed, it, it, he throws it amongst the, weed, uh, the, the, the thorns and the weeds, and as it grows, the, the thorns choke it out. just can't survive. But then other seeds, it finds good soil, and it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. I mean, that's good. I think the mistake that many of us believers make is that we think this is a story about a seed. And sometimes I think we use illustrations like this to justify our lack of results, our lack of effectiveness, our lack of reaching people. And we can, when, when we view the story that way, we can say, well, that's a bad seed. It's not my fault. I mean, that's just a bad seed. Not a lot of hope for that individual. Too broken, been through too much trauma. It's a bad seed. But that's not at all what the story's about. That's not a story about seeds. That's a story about soil. And the soil is us. The soil is the church. Because a seed is a seed is a seed is a seed, friend. You take a seed, you put it in good soil, you water it, and you give it sunlight. There's only one thing that seed's going to do. It's going to grow. That's what it does. It has very little to do with the seed itself, and it has so much more to do with the soil. There are plenty of seeds out there in the world, plenty of seeds all around us, tens of thousands of seeds, as a matter of fact. The question we got to ask ourselves today is, are we going to be that good soil that is full of grace and love and compassion and truth? We're not leaving out truth, baby. You've got to have truth. But God is looking for a place to plant some seeds in need. He's looking for it. There's no shortage of broken, hurting people in McAllister, Oklahoma. It's, if, you're, if you're healthy and, and function on, on a somewhat um, successful level, you are the minority in this town, friends. 
You are. If your parents are still married and you weren't sexually abused as a child, like you're in the top 10%. There's no, there's no shortage. God's just looking for a place where he can plant those seeds that are in need. He's looking for some good soil, some people that are willing to water it with love and grace and compassion. And this isn't at all me saying that we don't need to stand for truth because that's what I've done for the past five years. And it's not always popular, and it's not always comfortable, and sometimes people say ugly things about you on social media, right? The 40-year-old dudes living in their mom's basement, brrr, they're so brave behind their keyboard. I will always defend God's word, no matter how unpopular it might be. Been plenty of people leave this church because of some of the stands that I've taken. And that's okay. Because it's not my opinions. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's the supreme authority in my life. I really don't get to have a say-so. I just got to say what he tells me, tells me to say. So I'm not saying don't stand for truth. I'm, I'm saying the opposite. We're going to stand for truth boldly and bravely, more so than we ever have. We're, we're going to do that. But I'm also saying that we're going to let grace lead the way. Because if we get those things out of order, man, a Bible in the wrong hands can be one of the most detrimental and destructive of weapons that anybody has ever wielded. And there's people all over the world that have spiritual PTSD because somebody didn't know how to decipher the word with love and grace and compassion. We're going to let grace lead the way as we stand for truth. And I believe that what God's done up to this point is just a drop in the bucket, man, for what he's about to do in this church and through this church in the months ahead. I believe that. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads today? I wonder if there's anybody here today that has never been born again. Maybe you've only learned about that Jesus that uh, is mean and angry all the time, disappointed in you all the time. Maybe that's the only Jesus you've ever uh, had an encounter with. I, I can't stress enough that that's not the Jesus I know. And that's not the Jesus that I serve. The Jesus I serve loves you more than you could ever imagine in an unconditional kind of way where there's no, no sin, no decision too bad that could ever change the way he feels about you. He is a good, good father, and he has good plans and purposes for your life. And he's not mad at you. And he's not angry. And he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. And today you might feel like you're out there and you're just drowning. I'm telling you, Jesus is throwing you a life preserver today. If you will just grab on, he can change everything about your life. The gospel isn't a, isn't a message of changing your beliefs. The gospel is a message of changing your life. He can give you Love, joy, peace, life, life more abundantly. 
So if that's you here this morning, say, Mark, I've never met that guy. I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. But today I would really like to do that. With every head bowed and eye closed, no one peeking around. If that's you, just slip your hand up this morning. I want to say yes to Jesus. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. That hand in the back, I see it. Praise God. Would you reach over and grab that hand of the person next to you this morning? I don't want anybody praying alone. This is the, the greatest decision you're ever going to make in your life. Your church family should stand with you. But you've already said yes. You've already made that decision in your heart. It's not a magic prayer, but Jesus says, if you, the word says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. So if you would just repeat this prayer after me, say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent. I need you to be my Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're the only way to heaven. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. You are my Savior and you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Give God some praise, man. Like seven people just gave their hearts to the Lord. As we dismiss, I want you to know that his grace never runs dry. That no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're up against, no matter the struggle, no matter the mountain, he has more than enough grace for you, friend. He has not given up on you. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, he is still working, man. That's the kind of God we serve. So as, as we dismiss, I just want the prayer team to come down today. And if you're here today, you say, Mark, I'm going through some stuff. I need a touch. I need a prayer. I need some of that God's grace. Just come on down to the front as we dismiss. King's House, I love you. God bless you. Have an amazing week. See you next Sunday.